The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, recorded as live from my daughter's bedroom. It's the podcast that knows with a heavy heart that it's going to delete everything and start a new game as soon as the update lands. Today on the show we've got Terry Venables, or at least we've got the Terry Venables autobiography. We've got FM blogging from Argentina, we've got your letters, and yes, we've got FM Bundesliga chat with Alex Stewart too. But before all of that, we've got a subject that's very close to my heart, and looking at the mailbag, it's very close to yours too. What do you do when it all goes wrong? This is a story about a man called Stefan Volkman. I'm still emotionally recovering from the shock of the wheels falling off in my Newcastle save. After two good seasons of top-half finishes and having finally got rid of the majority of the dross in that squad, I felt I was really ready to kick on in my third season. It was not to be. Bottom in mid-November, I was soon relieved of my duties. Throughout my abysmal run, I was sure that a renaissance was just around the corner. I won the XG battle in 12 of 18 games. I convinced myself that my form was bound to turn around. What I realised too late was that my XG was generally acquired for an accumulation of poor quality chances. My point being, I don't think it's enough to say I'm winning the XG so everything is running fine under the hood. Things will change. It's not fine at all. Ian, please, save others from the pain I'm going through now. Stefan Volkman, you are with friends. I will not let you fall in vain. Today on the show, I'm joined by Tom Davidson from Sports Interactive because I have been here many times. Most notably in FM07 when I, I took Titus Bramble and Albert Luque's Newcastle to second place, brought Miroslav closer and then pretty much lost every game and got myself sacked. We've all been here, that moment where everything is fine and then suddenly it's not. Tom, Tom, help us. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. For anyone who missed you first time around, what exactly do you do all day? Yeah, I'm the PR manager at Sports Interactive, so I sort of spend my time talking to journalists, the media, anyone who wants to find out about the football manager, send out review keys, that kind of thing. All good stuff, really. And you are, I mean, you have advised me many times in the past when <laughs> things have been going wrong, which which I, I may have need to call on you towards the end of the show when we start talking <laughs> about the Bundesliga. It's going to be hard to sort of speak generally about this because everyone's game is different. We're not going to be able to sit here and diagnose everyone's problems and solve them. Um, but let, let's start with the cause of, of the wheels coming off. Now, a common complaint I'm sure you'll get sent all the time is, is people who say, like, I don't understand it. I haven't changed anything. It's the same players playing the same tactics. Why are we suddenly losing all the time? Well, I mean, if you look at real football, football is a game of, of, of peaks and troughs. And obviously that's replicated in Football Manager as well. You know, you can you can be flying one minute and, and have everything flowing beautifully and have the perfect tactical setup in your mind. And then suddenly, you know, seemingly for no reason at all, uh, things can fall apart. But I think if you dig a little deeper, there's there's often you can pinpoint exactly what the cause is, um, whether that's a, a slight drop in morale in the dressing room, whether that's uh, a lack of cohesion amongst the players. There are usually little signs that you can you can pick out that that sort of point where you're where you're potentially going wrong and, and what you can do to address it as well. 
I mean, th- this this is happening in real life, isn't it? It's happening with with Liverpool. Um, uh, admittedly, there's a very clear starting point that all of their defenders um, are, are up on bricks. But then you start getting multiplying factors. But there there are other things as well. I noticed in my Nottingham Forest game that I was scoring loads of set pieces in the first half of the season. But towards the second half of the season, it it all dried up, and and clearly the AI is adapting. Yeah, definitely. I I think that the days where you could just sort of plug and play a tactic, as it were, uh, are behind us. And I think that's true. Again, if you look to real football, like you said, with 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 Liverpool at the moment, you know they were all conquering. No one could work out a way to to stop the the Gagan press style. And and now. You know, all it takes, yes, they've had a couple of injuries, but all it takes is for something like that to knock them off course and, and teams are now finding ways to to get through against them. Um, and in the game, yeah, I mean, you mentioned about set pieces there. The the uh, AI have got analysts and scouts looking at your team just, as, just the same way that you do as well. So you might become known quite quickly for being a team that's quite dangerous from set pieces. And teams will adapt to that. They'll, they'll focus on on stopping you from... from doing what you do best um, when they come up against you, especially once they played you uh, once or a couple of times. They they sort of learn what you're doing, especially if you haven't changed things up uh, at all against them. So the AI is, is very, very clever. Um, you're up against, uh, you know, quite a formidable opponent at times and, and it will it will adapt. It will look to, to exploit your weaknesses and, and stop you from, from getting a foothold on the game as well with whatever method that is, whether you're known for being, as you say, a set piece specialist or whether you're you're free-flowing attacking teams there are different ways to break down different systems i mean at the end of the day each tactic has its own advantages and disadvantages and you know the ai knows which ways to to sort of try and push things to to stop you from getting an advantage so basically and i have to out myself as a star trek fan we're basically fighting the borg we have to keep recalibrating our weapons in order to to get results how often do you do you have to do that or or is there a way of kind of making subtle tweaks that will that will give you advantages well I i think the key thing is to keep your core philosophy your core principles in place so if you you know whatever style of football you want to play whether it's something that's like a short passing game with a emphasis on possession or whether it's something more direct um, and, and a bit more old school, as it were. But um, whatever it is, you need to keep those those core elements in play. And then I think it's a case of adapting um, to suit the opposition. You know, you, you get a lot of pre-match information through from your analysts, your scouts, um, your backroom team about how to prepare for the next game. And it's there for a reason, because each game is different. Each opponent is different. And unless you have, you know, a team of of unbeatable superstars that you've, you've basically hoarded every single player uh, of note in the, in the database, you're, you're going to come up against some, some decent opposition, no matter what level you're at. And so it's important to, to take that into consideration, to adapt. And, and yeah, I think, I think the key point is to, is to treat every game differently and, and to really look at, at, at what, the, what you're coming up against, what you're facing, whether that's a particular player who's a threat, whether it's a particular system that you're maybe not too familiar with, um, really delve in there and, and take a look and get, equip yourself in the best way. And usually, you know, you don't have to make drastic changes unless you're facing someone who is far and beyond uh, your level. Um, usually you can just sort of tweak here and there to really counter specific threats rather than making wholesale changes. 
I I think on the on the most recent Bundesliga game, I, I've screwed up here. Um, I generally play sort of control possession with a, a deep line playmaker, and I came up against Bayer Leverkusen, who do exactly that. And we'll talk about that a bit more towards the end of the show. But because they dominated possession, it meant that my deep line playmaker didn't really come into the game very much. And it was only afterwards that I thought, oh, why didn't you just change him to a ball-winning midfielder? Because I hope I'm right in thinking that a defensive ball-winning midfielder would have done much more to stop Bayer Leverkusen monopolising possession like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's the key point as well, that you have to adapt in the match itself. Don't just, you know, think your work's done as soon as you send them out over the over the touchline. Um, it's important to sort of take in what's happening on the pitch in front of you. And, and I think, you know, if you're a team that's used to controlling the ball um, and you come up against a team, as, as you said there, that are, are trying to do the exam and doing it better than you, then you have to adapt to that. And, and yeah, you, your, your playmaker probably wouldn't wouldn't get the chance to really shine or, or, or carry out his effective duty if 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 they're not you know being given the ball, not getting the service that they that they need to 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 operate in that role. So yeah, making that sort of switch and and, and adapting to to the challenge that's in front of you. Um, you said there about a, a, a ball a ball winning midfielder is is perfect in that situation because you know they are their sole responsibility is to go out there get the ball back and just recycle it to, to another player and, and, and make sure that you're the ones uh, with the ball at their feet. And and there's all sorts of different ways to do that across the pitch. You know, if, if you're, if you're finding that you're, you're creating, the, you're not creating many chances, you've got the ball, but you're not really doing anything with it, then, you know, you maybe want to change uh, the roles of your wingers or, or, or maybe your striker to drop them further back into, into the thicker things. Um, your attacking midfielder, if you play with a number 10, uh, to try and, you know, either bring them further back to relay with your central midfield or to, to work things further forward and link up with a striker. There's different scenarios in play during the match that you want to adapt to. And, and they can always change as well. You know, over the course of 90 minutes, you might, first half, you might be the better team, you might be on top controlling play and then their manager goes in, has a has a stern word with them at half time, and comes out, and they're a new new team. They're they're really challenging you. They're pressing you. They're winning the ball back high up the pitch, and they're really causing problems for your defence. So you know, never think that your work's done in Football Manager as soon as uh, as soon as you hit that button to start the game. You know, there's still a lot ahead of you over the course of that ninety minutes. And it's it's worth going back to something we've talked about loads of times. Don't watch key highlights um, <laughs> because you just won't see what's going wrong and what's going right. There are moments when I mean, I've always thought football managers' most realistic trait is that it reflects how bizarre football can be. There are some days when you do everything right and you still lose because football is evil. How many how many freakish results do you think you should put up with before you suddenly slam on the brakes and pop up the hood? And what what sort of indicators are there? I mean, we, we heard from Steph and our correspondent there who was winning the XG battle but losing the matches. Um, how long is it before you should go, right, there's there's actually something wrong? Yeah, well, I think I think you know you've got to take into account, as you said, that you can do everything right and still come out on the losing end. That's just that's just football. But I think there are patterns that you can you can try and spot. I think morale is is always one of the key indicators. Um, it's it's such a powerful uh, uh, part of the game, um, which I think a lot of people don't really understand quite 
quite how it works and, and it can have a real impact on on um, the player's performance on the pitch, both individually and collectively as a team. So, you know, it's important to make sure that your squad is is motivated, particularly the players that you're you're picking to start the game. You know, you don't want players out there who have got an abysmal rating for morale. They're just sort of dragging their shoulders around and, and, and not really looking like they want to be there. So um, it's important that you've got, you know, a well-motivated, enthusiastic group of players on the pitch. Um, in, in real terms... Sorry, in real terms, what what happens to say you've got a striker with low morale uh, against a striker with high morale? In, in real terms, what happens on the pitch? Well, I mean, it, it obviously depends on their abilities as well. Um, you know, a, a player with a world class player with low morale is still going to be pretty handy. A, a, a bet, a bet, probably a better option than you know a, a, an unproven youngster who's maybe got two star current ability to his name and. and is sort of third or fourth on the pecking order, but it can have a it can have a real impact where, you know, a, a player with low low morale or, or a group of players with low morale, it can um, you know cause cause issues in terms of their cohesion on the pitch. Um, it all feeds into the dynamics, of course, as well, which is a massive factor um, in terms of how well the players gel on the pitch and 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 how well they. Um, they work together as a group in in the dressing room, and and it can you know those those isolated instances where you've got a player who's unhappy, or um, a player who just is struggling for confidence and struggling for form can have a knock on effect on on other players as well. If if you know they're playing a pivotal role, you know you talk about their xG and and dominating that battle but not putting any goal, any goals in the back of the net. Um, you've got to think that if your if your striker's struggling for confidence, you know that perhaps they're they're trying to, you know, create chances that aren't there. They're snatching at their shots, that kind of thing. Well, that can have a real issue if then the defence is feeling more pressured because they've got to keep a clean sheet in order to get something out of the game. And so it does, it it does have a real knock-on effect, and it's something that you've got to be got to be mindful of. Um, and and there are ways to sort of, you know, try and remedy that. Whether that be increasing team bonding training sessions, whether that be just having a word with the player, whether that be you know praising them for for their performance, even if they you know on the even if they on the surface didn't play that well, but if they have a particular personality that that responds well to to, to praise, then then um, that's an option as well. And and I think personality is also a, a massive factor. It, you've got to know the players that you've got at your disposal. You know you've got to know collectively how they will respond to to certain words or, or, or criticism or praise uh, that you're you're dishing out and once you know that then I think when you're in those bad runs of form it becomes easier to navigate a path out of it because you sort of understand them you understand what they need to get them out of it if you if you don't know the dressing room then you know you're, you're fighting a losing battle already so confident players, keeping an eye on future opponents, not taking things for granted. I guess fitness is probably an issue as well, given that there, there does seem to be quite the deleterious effect on players when they get those little drained red hearts towards the end of uh, the game. You, you notice that it's not just technical, tangible things like passes going astray, but they're actually quite slow to respond to things, aren't they? Yeah, it, fitness is a is a real um, you know a, re, a real factor in in the match engine just as it is in in real life and and rotation is key as well and and not just in terms of keeping players fit but also you know keeping the squad motivated because if you're sort of not making the first team you're spending most of your time on the bench but you're not getting any minutes then that's going to have a real impact on your on your morale as well and and uh, affect your performance in the same way that we talked about uh, just now so yeah fitness 
can can play a real part um in, in especially in those later stages if you've used up all your subs and you're seeing you know four or five players going down to like the very bottom of the of the heart icon it can um it can make for a nerve-wracking few minutes as they sort of struggle their way around the pitch so um yeah definitely worth building that into into your training your planning and and also your your execution on, on match day as well uh, Andrew Lorne got in touch over email and he was asking about how to keep momentum going during the season. How do you prevent this kind of thing happening? Um, uh, and I think one of the, the pitfalls that uh, all of us have found through the game is that every now and then you'll say, why can't you play like that every game? And bang, morale goes through the floor. So it never feels like that's a great option to use. What, what can you do to just stop them getting, getting too cocky? I think, it, as I said, it, it depends on the personality of the squad. It's really worth spending some time getting to know, you know, the personalities of your players and working out, you know, what's the what's the best way to to deal with this as a, as a unit. Um, you know, are they are they an ambitious squad? Would they like to be challenged? Would they like to be given targets that, on paper, maybe seem a little bit out of reach, but is something for them to to aspire to and aim for? Are they, you know, fairly set in their ways? Do they just want to? Go out there and do the same thing time after time after time. Um, have you got quite a young squad who who maybe have to spend a bit more time, you know, developing their their uh, mental attributes and and working on that side of the game and and understanding like the tactical side of things as well. Um, I think that's really the first key step. And then once once you know that, once you know what you're dealing with, everything else can flow from there. And and it really can be, you know, you can tailor what you're doing to remedy any loss in form or loss in morale to to your squad because as we said earlier each each save each squad each story is different in football manager and it's important that you you sort of respect that and understand the ways to to utilize the tools at your disposal to best suit your team as a general rule though i think yeah morale is for me always the key indicator when it comes to a loss in formula i've had games where i've been sort of you know, five or six games without a win. You get that note, uh, news item as well where it says, do you want to call a team meeting? And, I'm, and, you know, depending on the squad I've got, I'm either really, really reluctant to do so because I think they might kick off if I say, you know, this isn't good enough. Or this is sort of, they're the sort of squad that need a kick up the arse and, 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 and need to get, you know, that hairdryer treatment every now and again. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a balancing act between the players at your disposal. And, you know, the game is there. The game does give you those pointers. It does give you indicators. And, and it, once you sort of spot whatever it is, whether it's morale, whether it's um, injuries or, or anything like that, you can try and remedy it quite quickly. And the game has all the tools there to sort of bring you out of the slump. All right, Stefan Volkman, Jonathan Cunningham. I, I hope that helps uh, wherever you end up in your next save uh, and to all the other people who've written in asking about that as well. I hope that came in handy. Tom, that was brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem at all. Hey, if you type theathletic.com forward slash FM pod into your phone, you can get six months of The Athletic for half price. That's £3.99 a month. Or, if you will, £1 a week. But why would you do that? Football news is, after all, free and abundant on the internet. Oh, it is. But, you know, you get what you pay for. And The Athletic has specialist reporters for every Premier League team. 
They don't smash out 40 online articles a week at breakneck speed. They take their time. They use their contacts and they write good stuff. Your one pound a week gets you the good stuff. Loads of it. And it gets you podcasts without adverts. So type theathletic.com forward slash fmpod into your phone and go check it out. You can cancel at any time, so there's no risk at all. The Football Manager Show Community Centre. So, wow. I, I asked for community content and... You guys were not slow in bringing me recommendations, especially you, Sebastian Kelly, sending me a comprehensive dossier detailing all of the big community hubs with specific recommendations to key components. Uh, Seb, if I ever start another business, you're coming with me. Uh, Check out his piece on FM Scout about managerial attributes. Just type all of those keywords into Google. Sebastian Kelly, managerial attributes, FM Scout's really good piece. However... I was particularly taken by the WordPress blog Rocks End FM by Fernando Romero Nunes. Now, there's a, a heavy focus on the chronicling of adventures in South American FM, but it's not limited to that. In fact, the latest story is uh, Hearts Midlothian. And, and it's nice writing, too. It's really sort of dreamy and immersive. I mean, this is clearly someone who sinks very, very deep into his games. Uh, added to all of that, if that's not enough, there's some really interesting blogs that seek to draw lessons from football manager from the former Nottingham Forest assistant boss, Peter Taylor, who, of course, worked with Brian Clough for so long. So check that one out. It is rocksendfm.wordpress. It's by Fernando Romero Nunes, and it's our community centre recommendation of the week. Now, if you've spotted something online, whether it's a YouTube video, a Twitch stream, or, or as with Fernando, just a, just a good bit of old-fashioned writing, give me a shout. I am on iMacintosh at theathletic.com. And even though we're getting through about five times as many messages as we ever did in the beginning, I'll do my very best to reply to everyone who sends me an email. And while I'm here, actually, I I should take this opportunity to say thank you to uh, Thomas Smoten, uh, Johnny Nohat and Seb Andreasen for the lovely reviews you put on Apple. They make a massive, massive difference. I really appreciate, appreciate you guys taking the time. Coming up next, your letters. Hi, I'm James McNicholas, and I'm here to tell you about the latest series from Beyond the Headline, The Making of Big Sam. You see, Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football, and English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? To answer those questions and more, you'll hear from Big Sam himself, those who have worked for him, and those who've witnessed the full Big Sam experience. You can hear it all now and ad-free via the Athletic app. Just search for Beyond the Headline now. You're listening to The Football Manager Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. OK, it's time for your letters. And that means it's time for producer Abby. Abby, how are you? I'm not too bad. I have no innuendo for this for you this week. I'm sorry. I think last week's was enough to last us the entire <laughs> series. Um, what have you got for us this week? Uh, this week, we have got Matthew Atkinson, who says... 
Ian, you mentioned the futility of international management. I would very much subscribe to that view in normal circumstances. However, sometimes you get lucky and can do the job part-time. Therefore, not sitting for hours, spinning three months doing nothing. I imagine there is some internal game logic for this, but it happened to me on my current save. And I won the World Cup with England on home soil in 2030. Apparently, just 1% of FM21 players have won the World Cup according to the Steam achievement I got... Very smug there. I bloody love a Steam achievement. (laughs) I love getting those. Um, Congratulations, Matthew. Um, Yeah, we've we've actually had a a few messages um, uh, on email and on Twitter about this with the general feeling that I've been really harsh about um, what you brilliantly entitled the futility of international management. If I don't write a book with that title, then I'm I'm doing something wrong. We should have a look at that. I think we should do an episode coming up where we look at international football. I love the idea of doing it part-time, but I'm totally torn between thinking that managing a Premier League club and England at the same time is, I mean, it's basically either exactly what my life needs right now or it is the end of me as a functioning adult. So, yeah, one way or another, we'll we'll get a show out of it. Who else has written him? I think lockdown was the end of us as functioning adults. (laughs) It really bloody was. We also have a letter from Ryan Hardy who asks, Could you do a bit on the show with SI explaining how mentoring works? Over the years, I've sussed a bit of it out, but it's still a huge mystery to me. And I've always wished there was a bit of a guide on it. You know what, Ryan? So have I. And we were going to just try and do this the old fashioned way. But then we thought, oh, we can get Tom back. Tom, are you there? Hello, I am here. Hey, it's like Superman. Something goes wrong. Tom appears with tactical advice. Tom, mentoring. It's changed a bit in the new game, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. We now have mentoring groups, whereas previously you would assign someone individually. Um, So with mentoring groups, you're able to sort of put uh, groups of players together and you can really mix it up and tailor it to whatever you want. So you might, for example, want to have... Uh, a young player who is training with a group of you know experienced pros who a model professional personality for instance so you know you might have someone who's a bit rough around the edges um in your squad who you want to develop into becoming a future first teamer um and that's a good way to sort of maybe adapt or alter their personality to be more like the uh, the seasoned pros and the model professionals that you want to have in your squad. Um, you can use it for other things as well in terms of uh, boosting uh, social groups and relationships amongst the team. Um, you can do it in terms of um, maybe someone at tying what we talked about earlier maybe someone's on a on a really poor run of form or or they're just not looking uh very confident or sharp on the pitch um a good way to do that is to is to maybe put them into uh, a mentoring group with people who who may be you know are consistent solid dependable players who um who can maybe you know give them a, a word of advice or two Oh, that, that's kind of sweet. So if you've got like a lone sad sack who's not in a, a social group, you can you can literally just put him there and hope that happiness is contagious. Yeah, I mean there are there are um, there are circumstances where you know, that player may gravitate towards a social group on their own, whether it's because of a shared language um, amongst that social group or or particular personality traits among that social group. But you know, it, it's I I often do it when um, a player is coming into the club who, particularly if they're young. I mean, mentoring is obviously much better if they're if, if a player is young. And, you know, if I sign a young player and they come into the club, uh, I, one of the first things I do is, is try and find, you know, a suitable mentor. If it, unless they're, you know, sort of really quite well-rounded already, uh, particularly on the mental attribute side or their personality is, you know, something that I'd want to have in, in the squad, I, I tend to just try and find a mentoring group for them and really make use of, you know, the hierarchy in the team, you know, the team leaders and, and the more influential players in the squad to sort of 
not only help the younger player with their game uh, on the pitch, but also to you know familiarise them to the dressing room and the wider team. I tell you, this really comes into its own as you go further through the game because some of those new gens come through with personality, personalities that pretty much just like, is a pathetic loser. <laughs> um, you really want to work that out of your squad. Tom, can you stick around for one more? I can indeed. Cool, bless you. Abby, what you got? Yes, we've got another one here from Jesper Kullenberg, who says, how much does the overall knowledge of tactics affect your game when in a match? I try to train my squad for two formations. My striker, who's well familiar with the role as advanced forward, can also play as an inside forward on the left, but unfamiliar with the role. I cannot train him in two different roles, which results in him being only familiar in one. How much does that affect the player when switching formation? So I think there's I think there's two points to unpick there. The first is 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 tactical familiarity really. Um, now tactical familiarity it's important into the way the players uh, p- perform on the pitch because if if they have a low tactical familiarity they're tending to make a, a lot more errors or or, or mistakes on the pitch um, because they're less familiar with the way that you're asking them to play. Um, and you talked about uh, training two tactics. I mean I think. We try and recommend training training free if you can, um, just so that you're able to switch and you have a bit more variety in terms of the tactics at, at your disposal and the, and the systems that you want to use. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't win with an unfamiliar system. Um, you know that those instances can still happen, but it is it is less likely. And in terms of the player role um, and the impact on on the performance, so. There is a there is a minor effect on on a player's decision making when they're playing in that unfamiliar role, but generally it's not going to be having a drastic impact on their performance. You know, it might just take them a couple of minutes to sort of work out where they are on the pitch um, or or what you're asking them to do, but it sh- it won't it won't have anything you know too drastic over the course of the of the match. So I would say don't be afraid to sort of experiment and 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 don't worry about them. You know, suddenly appearing to be a fish out of water when they're when they're putting a new role that's brilliant thank you tom no problem now we, we also had a message from someone this week they, they didn't tell me to change their name but I'm, I'm gonna do it anyway just in case they've pulled some sickies recently and their boss is listening so uh, let, let's just call him dave now dave loves football manager and he loves the show but he's concerned about how much uh, he describes himself in the email as being obsessed he says that the game constantly occupies his thoughts and that he's genuinely worried about how little sleep he gets and he asks for advice on how to be disciplined how to turn the game off at a reasonable hour so first things first dave you're you're definitely not alone like all over the world, lockdown people are seeking solace and distraction wherever they can find it. And and I don't know anyone in real life, I read about it, but I don't know anyone in real life who's getting through all of this by learning another language or, or reading War and Peace. I once interviewed a psychiatrist about Football Manager and it, it, it was a really entertaining chat, mostly because he was very funny. But there was a lot of truth in, in what he said. He said that an addiction to gaming is, is just like an addiction to anything else. You do A so that you feel B. You drink a beer because it relaxes you. You play FM because you like the way it makes you feel. Now, most of the time, for most of the people, it's not a problem. I spent four hours on Saturday beavering away on my laptop, which is arguably not the best use of my time on this earth. But my wife didn't leave me and I'm still in a job. But when it's a problem, it really is a problem. It doesn't matter what the it actually is. So first of all, see if you can exercise a bit of control over it. Can you go 24 hours without playing? Can you set yourself a curfew and stick to it? I do that myself. I can't sleep if I've been playing anything too close to bedtime. 
I had a long session on Hearts of Iron a few weeks back, spent most of the night staring at the ceiling wondering how best to invade Poland. That's not a good pattern of behaviour, on any level. If you can do deadlines, fantastic. But if you can't, and if you are actually causing yourself real-life problems with work or with your family, advice is very much outside the remit of a podcast presenter. So if you are struggling with, with this or anything else, talk to people. It really helps. And always remember that you can talk to Calm. That's the Campaign Against Living Miserably. They are on 0800 58 58 58. They do great work and they are available 24-7. The Football Manager Book Club. Welcome to Book Club. Charlie Parsons emailed last week, uh, wanted another classic manager book. So we're going back into the past again for Born to Manage by Terry Venables. Uh, It's actually his second autobiography. The first one came in the mid-90s and a fair bit happened after that. Not not least his high watermark in English football, Euro 96. Now, of course, what you might not know if you're under the age of 30 is that Venables won La Liga in Barcelona in 1984. And you might think, well, all right, yeah, Barcelona win the league. What's the, what's the big deal? But this was a time when almost nobody won La Liga with Barcelona. In 1984, they hadn't won it for 11 years. They wouldn't win it again for another six. He was a penalty shootout away from becoming the first Barcelona manager to win the European Cup, something they didn't do until 1992. So all of which is quite an achievement for a Jack the Lad from Dagenham, Um, even if he'd done really well with Palace and QPR before, just getting the job was amazing. Now what I really like about this book is the way that he actually explains how he did it. Laurie McManamy last week was was a really interesting read, but outside of notions of discipline and spotting a player, he never really kind of went into what he did. And Venables goes tactical here, and when he does, you can see exactly why footballers loved him. Because he, he takes complicated concepts, and he just articulately, and with a bare minimum of waffle, breaks them all down. In fact, if I've got an issue with this book, it's I wish he'd done it more. Uh, there, there wasn't much of a market for this kind of stuff back in the day, but I tell you, a book of L Tell on tactics would be a bestseller right now. So the two questions we always ask here, does it make you a better football manager? Does it make you want to play football manager? And it's yes to both, to a certain extent. The the section on England, where he discusses how he prepares three very different tactical plans across a two-year period, that was fascinating. Especially as I'd always just assumed that he used the Christmas tree formation for everything. And you have to forgive me on that. These were less enlightened times. No one ever talked about tactics, ever. But the reason this book really makes you want to play Football Manager is is that you come away with a a very real sense of sadness that Terry didn't. Instead, from a very early stage, he's fixated on owning a club. Now, it would be ridiculous for me to criticise someone from the creative department for wanting to step up and run the show, but you do wonder what we missed. Terry Venable should have had 10 to 15 years after Euro 1996 excelling at big clubs. Instead, he gets caught up in messy spells at Portsmouth and Palace and Leeds. He's assistant to Brian Robson at Borough and Stephen McLaren at England, but it's all... ah, it should have been more... Anyway, it's a good read. It's possibly overpriced at £6.99, which is what I paid for it on Apple Books, but yeah, they cut the prices all the time. Keep an eye on it. The Football Manager Bundesliga Challenge. It's time for the Football Manager Challenge. Two grown men talking about their online football manager game. 
Now, we put this to the back of the show for a reason, because there are some people who find it horrifically self-indulgent. And, you know, on balance, they're probably right. So if this isn't your thing, feel free to switch off now. And if you prefer to wait for the written piece on The Athletic on, on Tuesdays, you can also leave now. Show's almost over. You won't miss a thing. But if you're still here, welcome to the show, Alex Stewart. Hello, Ian. How are you? Hello. You sound a little brighter this week for some reason. Um, mm. Now, due to both of us actually having, you know, proper grown-up jobs at The Athletic, we, we've only managed to play two matches this month. But but what matches they were? You're back in business, and I am, oh, let's be diplomatic about it, more aware of the challenges facing me at Schalke. <laughs> yes. No, I think that's fair to say. I um, I made a couple of little tweaks tactically for greater solidity mostly and we've taken four points from an available six which is good um what what did you do um because you know you you as a team you're a little bit flighty a little a little bit easy to get exposed and i know you know people in glass well i mean it's so it's something that the team kept telling me in in the pre-match stuff that they were exposed that they were concerned that we could be exposed at the back and uh I guess they had a point, maybe. Um, <laughs> so sometimes it's good to listen. So I changed the wing backs from being attacking to to supporting. I put my Metsala to attack rather than support to try and get forwards a little bit more. And also Nicola Gonzalez, who is my uh, central striker, who's kind of a machine. Like he's a really good player, but he wanted to play at a slightly lower tempo. So I moved him from being a pressing forward to being a complete forward just so that he was happier about his role uh, and also to try and get more of that link-up play. And it seems to be working. Do you find, like, whenever you set someone to complete forward, it's always like, oh, just do what you want then. Like, it's always kind of churlish when you do it. I, I, It's kind of... I, I think the issue there was, like, it, we're supposed to be a high-pressing side, but I, I wanted him to be able to focus just a little bit more on trying to be in the box to get on the end of things, dropping off a little bit to link play, because that was a slight problem, which again, I've tried to counter with the Metsala being more progressive. Um, But he also complained before every fixture, uh, or the coach complained on his behalf, that he's not used to playing at such a high tempo. So I think by adjusting that and asking him to run around less, I might get more from him. And, And to be honest, we've all been there. So first up were Hoffenheim. I mean, judging from the noises coming down the phone line while we were playing this, it wasn't entirely comfortable. No, not at all. It it was, I think we, we went into a relatively good early lead and we were playing some quite nice football, but they came back into it. There was a penalty that we got that went to VAR that wasn't allowed. And it wasn't until extra time when we made it the final result 4-2. Um, so it was less comfortable, I think, than it looked. And I was... But you know what it's like when you're playing a game and you've made changes and you're waiting for them to come to fruition and then stuff isn't immediately perfect. That kind of overwhelming sense of, oh, I've screwed this up. Coming off the back of the set of results I had the month before as well, I'm conscious that I don't have a great deal of leeway to get things right. So it was nervy, yes. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. We, we've spoken a little bit about what happened to me earlier in the show um, in that I was beaten and comprehensively outplayed at home by Bayer Leverkusen, who are a 
kind of play the same football as as me, but actually do it really well. And then <laughs> um, a, a draw with Wolfsburg, one all draw, and that we're probably the better team, but not so overwhelmingly the better team that you can you know go and whinge about it. So it's just just the one point from two games. You're about mid-table now, aren't you? I think I'm 7th or 8th or something. So neither of us are in a great deal of trouble. But no. it, it is that, that kind of growing sense that it's only going to take two or three bad results. And I've already had two of them. I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? I, I, I don't know the, the degree that the boards will give us leeway. I think particularly my last month where I had the Leipzig fixture and the Bayern fixture as well as the Derby, like that's a tough set to start with. So I'm hoping that there's a certain amount of latitude. And if I can pick up, say, another win and another draw from the remainder of this month, then I think I'll be back in credit again. But it it, it takes time to adapt, doesn't it? And you have to feel your way through the squad make sure that people are doing what they're supposed to be doing make these little tweaks and changes when you see fit and yeah like I say it seems to be paying off I mean we we played Leverkusen as well and and they're very good and they hog the ball a lot and my defenders were far and away the best performers in that game but we did we did manage to keep a clean sheet and get a draw so that's good you know I'm pleased with that it's weird though, isn't it? Because when you're playing on your own, you can go through a bad run of form, but it doesn't sort of, it doesn't haunt you the same way it does in an online game where you start feeling, you know, slightly sick at the prospect of the next match because, you know, it's just more punishment. I don't know what it is because neither of us are the kind of people who, you know, exit without saving after a bad result. When we lose, we lose. When we get oh, sacked, yeah. we, we get sacked. But there's something so much more sort of visible and vulnerable about playing an online game because you know there's there's just no hiding place that's true and there's also a, a finality to it isn't there i remember when we when we played the celtic rangers challenge and i got sacked as the rangers boss <laughs> what do you do like there's there's no rejoining i mean i tried i, I think <laughs> well, i eventually got a job with dunfermline um was it Dun- no dumbarton god Dumbarton. Yes. Dumbarton Athletic, the elephants. I think that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you know, if you get sacked in in a normal game, then you kind of sit around and you apply for a job. And but but you know, in an online game, that the rest of the world is moving on and you're being left behind. <laughs> and it gets it gets quite kind of existential and 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 upsetting. All right. If you want to hear more about that, and, and who wouldn't, given the way we've just sold it, get on to The Athletic. Every Tuesday, we've got a great big long read detailing um, the, the travails of Schalke and Stuttgart. It's all at The Athletic. And again, you'll get that for half price if you just type theathletic.com forward slash FM pod. It's a pound a week. Why wouldn't you? Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Are you, you confident about the next session? I've got Union Berlin away as my my next fixture, and I think oh, you I beat had. Them. Yeah, you did, but but they they're sort of obstinate, aren't they? So mid-table championship side, they never give up, they never surrender, but they're not actually very good. Okay, so no so I'm, pressure. I, I'm I'm feeling all right, possibly, <laughs> maybe we shall see. And that is our show. So thank you so much for listening. Your guests were Tom Davidson, Alex Stewart. Your producer was Abby Patterson. I've been Ian McIntosh, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.